It's animation celery time. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. There's Rabbit, there's Piglet, and there's Micah. But most of all, Matsy the Pooh. I guess <laughs> it's my pod. I guess it's my podcast now. But I'm a poo. Yeah. Anyway, it's Animation Celery, where we give each other cartoons to watch and then come back and review them and discuss them and recap them and all that stuff. And this time, we remembered to do our cartoons about, uh, oh, Amnesia, right. (laughs) Micah is looking at a weird anime called Kaiba, and I'm looking at a weird anime called He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Mm. Uh, But first, I don't know, let's talk about something else. Okay. Uh, during this past week, I have been watching a lot of David Letterman. <laughs> well, that's out of nowhere. Yeah. Well, I think there's a, the line of reasoning is uh, Norm MacDonald leads to David Letterman, mm. I think. Anyway, okay. uh, so I saw his uh, getting the Mark Twain Award in 2017. Okay. They had like a, a special where comedians come out and roast him, kind of. Mm. Mm. Um and uh, Bill Murray was the previous winner, I guess. So <laughs> he came out dressed like a Tudor noble with like a floppy <laughs> hat and breeches and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was weird because he was really, really funny. I mean, like for the past two decades, Bill Murray's been dry funny, you yeah. know, or yeah. like depressed funny. So <laughs> it was weird to see him still be able to be like, Flora crowd funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he'll do like, he'll appear on Saturday Night Live, but all those oldies that, you know, get the big cheer when they go on Saturday Night Live, I think they just show up the day before because they're terrible all the time. <laughs> all right, but he, he was really good. Anyway, it, right. it, it led me <laughs> down many steps of David Letterman. Mm-hmm. And I'm uh, right now watching through hours of a compilation, I don't know if you remember this, but this bit started when he was in New York and he saw across the street, there was a uh, business that had its lights on really late with people still working. So he's going to call over there and give a uh, employee of the month award <laughs> to whoever answered. Okay. Uh, and it was some woman that he then, uh, her name was uh, Meg Parsant. Okay. She worked at Simon & Schuster, the book publishing company. She did, like, the uh, promotion for um, their, like, light reading kind of stuff, like, you know, Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys and romance novels. Yeah, okay. Anyway, he formed, like, this relationship with her where every once in a while he'd just call over there and they'd have a camera aimed out of their window across the way to her window. (laughs) And, uh... um, you know, this is old David Letterman, so they just do crazy crud. So I remember like, the second time he, he did it, uh, I actually saw this when I was a kid and had to have, I think probably my brother described to me with it, that this was something that he, he had done before. Okay. Um, he had her open the window, fold a paper airplane, and throw it out there, and the camera followed it down. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> or like a following one. He had her uh, empty the hole punch so it was a bunch of confetti flowing down. Mm, mm, yeah. Um, <laughs> in another instance, he had her dangle the phone down and try to swing it as to knock on the window of the <laughs> office below her. Um, 
but it was too short. So she had to get like the next week she's prepared with a longer phone cord. <laughs> but, but it was the uh, the one beneath her had its blinds rolled. So he wanted her to lower it and then swing it pendulously as to hit the next office over. <laughs> it didn't work because this is the old days, right? And so like yeah. the phone that she's using is the one that she'd be communicating with. So she couldn't tell where she was swinging it. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it's funny. She's such a normal person. She doesn't, like, want to shatter a window or anything, right? Or Right. She doesn't budge sometimes when he'd say, like, uh, do you want us to come over and paint your office? Like, no, I don't think we should do that. <laughs> 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 but the more innocent stuff, like, he had uh, Billy D. Williams go over there and deliver a valentine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I just, I like, it's the... Uh, the kind of rogue uh, approach to late night talk shows that yeah. he created, right? Yeah. Or like he had her turn off the lights and then light a sprinkler over there, or not sprinkler, a uh, uh, sparkler over there. Oh, you know? yeah. Just these cheap whatever <laughs> things that kind of fill time. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I've, I remember David Letterman, you know, on those later shows, like just doing weird stuff that like, it wasn't even like, on its face, it wasn't funny, but the fact that it was being done, like, he had a bit yeah. around Thanksgiving, like, white meat or dark meat. Okay. And they would have, and, you know, like, uh, Paul Schaefer had this whole song, do they like yes. white meat? <laughs> and then, and it was just, they would say, name some celebrity, like, um, I I don't know, I got Star Wars on the brain now because of Billy D. Williams, so. Okay. Let's say, so let's say Mark Hamill. Like, yeah, Mark Hamill. Yeah, what do you think? I think he likes white meat. Yeah, yeah, me too. Okay, all right, that's it. And that was the whole bit. Right, right. And <laughs> and like these clips that I'm watching are, some of them are unedited. They they can't be edited, so they're not laced together with these things. Right. So I get to see these old bits and these old mannerisms I'd forgotten. You know, like, hey, let, let me tell you, I don't think there's a man, woman, or child alive that doesn't enjoy a tasty beverage. It's like, not really a joke. <laughs> it's just something he did, right? <laughs> and just the, those old top ten lists, like, they are never really funny. Mm. But as you say, they're funny, right? And those old ones, there's, like, no pressure, right? Because they're defining <laughs> the genre. So they're just doing whatever, right? Like... The the one they just showed a whole bunch of uh, driver's licenses. You know? Don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're just did crazy ever, like that. Hmm? Did you see the one where the top 10 list went into a documentary about the top 10 list? No. Sort of. It was, well, like, it was weird because, so they did the top 10 list. Yeah. And it, and after they did the number one. Yeah. They didn't, I don't know if they had like informed the audience or what but like they didn't light the applause or the laughter or anything okay they just had dead silence and then mm. this like this host came on in the side is like and here we see yet another instance where the number one on david letterman's top 10 list is not funny and uh. then it, he just goes into this whole like like investigative report about why the number one on the top 10 list is never funny well, functionally, it can't be because that's when the music and the cheering is going on. So you can't even yeah, hear yeah. it anyway. Yeah. yeah. Did you see the one that was top 10 numbers? <laughs> and it was like, number 10, 10, number nine, nine. But then they get to like something like six and it's like, number six, four. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's how that's got to go. 
Yeah. Um, and they, they actually did one with her where uh, at the time, Simon & Schuster was publishing a book of top 10 lists. I remember that book. Yeah. So the top 10 list that night was an old one just read by her. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. Anyway, it's, it's a weird trip on nostalgia. Um, yeah. Otherwise, I do have one cartoon thing to mention. Um, oh. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, I had a guest over, and she put on Diary of a Wimpy Kid. So, wait, that's a, wait the, the live-action movie? No, they've made an animated one since. Oh, good. Yeah, but it sucks. Um, Aww. Yeah, it's weird. I don't understand why when they put, when they make movies, put Diary of a Wimpy Kid to motion... It's like they just don't get the books at all. So, for one, they've translated it to 3D, right? Mm. So, I think immediately there's some problems with that. One, they adapt some designs. So, Greg looks like Greg, yeah. you know, and his brother looks like his brother. But yeah. uh, there's color and three-dimensionality to Rowley and Fregley's hair, hmm. which makes them look a little weird. And speaking of which... These characters look a little weird and in some way too dignified when you can see them at a different perspective. You know what I mean? Hmm. Like, Fregley, you can only see in the books straight on with his big, you know, with his, like, Wallace and Gromit-sized grin, right? <laughs> and, I don't know, Rowley just looks weird when he's not caught that thin hair and, you know... You can only really see him from two perspectives in the book, I think. Like when they make uh, 3D computer-generated cartoons out of Charlie Brown. Very much, except not as good as that one, I think. I haven't watched oh, that movie. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I mean, right, Linus looks weird. Yeah. <laughs> for sure, right? But yeah, yeah, they're just kind of not funny. And then I think, I think a lot of the time, once your visuals get more complex, the comedy potential kind of drops, unless, it's, mm. unless that's the point, right? Yeah. So, Seeing, like, visuals that really push up um, the drama just mm. kind of, it, it doesn't sell the, the Wimpy Kid humor. And also, there's, like, opportunities for you to fill in the blanks, right? So, a lot of the things that I find really funny in Diary of a Wimpy Kid, the books, that is, is yeah. when there's, like, an adult that obviously is not there to brook Greg's garbage, right? He just looks <laughs> dissatisfied, like, mm, right? But yeah. then when he's given dialogue and time, it's less funny, you know? Yeah, they, I can see that. They built, oh, and here's the other thing that doesn't work here. Um, the voices are realistic in Diary of a Wimpy Kid movie. So they sound like real little kids, oh. which I think is a mistake here, for one, because it's rare to have a little kid that can be really funny. Hmm. And also, it just feels more right to me if they have, like, voice actor voices. You know, if they have adult women talking like, ah, you know, like, ah, rarely ate the cheese or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. So. Hmm. Yeah. It's no yeah. good. That's too bad. I mean, there's there's a temptation to say, man, they really need to make a good adapt adaptation of Diary of a Wimpy Kid. But actually, no. Yeah. Like, the books are, and I haven't read all the books. I think you no. lent me like the first two mm. and then like with the intention to lend me more and then the chain stopped for some reason, but I Man. did enjoy them. Yeah. And it's a shame. And I think Rowley has his own books now too. Um, okay. But 
yeah, it's too bad. But I yeah, guess, you but, know, as long as we still have the books. Right, right. Anyway, so that, that's my week that was. How about you? Uh, let's see. I got a couple of things. Mm. First of all, wrestling update. Oh, thank God. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I just found out about this, like, a couple of hours before we started recording here. Okay. There is a wrestler in WWE named Walter. He's a huge, thick, rough German man. <laughs> uh, he has been he has been in WWE's UK branch for some time now. And mm. just recently he has made the move to North America to get into WWE's main system, well, their secondary main system, NXT. Okay. Now, WWE has a history of changing people's names to something they can trademark. Even if it's like a well-known wrestler, like Walter, and it's Walter, like all capital letters is how it's stylized. All right. And he's well-known as Walter in the independent wrestling scene. Everyone knows who Walter is. Okay. But it's WWE, so they had to change his name once they get into real WWE because they need to trademark it. And they have changed his name to... Gunther, mm. which immediately made me think of the Ice King's little penguin. Well, it sounds like a mistake because if the problem is trademarks, if there's a Gunther action figure, they can't make a Gunther the wrestler action figure. Well, there is another problem here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, apparently he's... On WWE's programming and website and everything, he is mm. Gunther. Mm. But the name that they have trademarked is Gunther Stark. And okay. the problem with that is that Gunther Stark was the name of an actual Nazi. Ha! So that's why they haven't gone with the Stark part. And they're like, oh, shoot, we can't use that. He's a famous Nazi, I guess. I, I, well, it's not famous to me. I mean, I don't, I barely know any Nazis, believe it or not. <laughs> if, you, if you, if you cram a common German first name and last name together, you have pretty good odds of hitting a Nazi. That's, right? that's kind of, that's kind of the thing. Yeah. Um, like there's a few names that, you know, you never, <laughs> you'll probably never see again in German culture, but, mm. but yeah, it's, I don't know. It, it it just struck me as funny, like Gunther. And there's like, there's more. There's another thing that's funny about that, but it's an Adventure Time spoiler and I don't want to spoil it for you. Oh, um, OK. But the, but there is a certain irony or or um, poetry to this particular wrestler being named Gunther. OK. Yeah. Anyway, second thing I wanted to mention is I have to mention a little video game that I've been playing recently. Mm -hmm. called Vampire Survivors. Hmm. This game... Okay, first of all, this game is in very early access on Steam. Okay. It's like version 0.2 or something. And it's $3. And mm. do you know those, like, indie twin-stick shooters where you're just on this big, like, infinite field and there's hordes and hordes and hordes of zombies or spiders or something coming at you and you have to run around and collect weapons and shoot them. Yeah, there was an MMO that I played that was like that. Yeah. And other games too, yeah, yeah. 
so this is like that, except that you don't control the shooting. Instead, you your character automatically shoots. And as you kill the various Castlevania-themed enemies that come at you, mm-hmm. you gain experience gems, and with each level, you get to choose one of three upgrades. And so the end goal is, well, the end goal right now, I don't know if they have more planned, but right now the object is just to survive for 30 minutes. And as you get these upgrades, you start firing more weapons and more powerful weapons. And Mm. so you end up, you can have up to six weapons and up to six passive abilities, and they all upgrade up to, I think the weapons upgrade up to eight levels and the passive items upgrade up to five. So you end up, all you do is move around. You just use the control, the stick, or I don't know if maybe there's like keyboard controls too, but you just move around and your character Mm. attacks automatically. And as the hordes of enemies get bigger and bigger, you just have to upgrade your, a passive ability to attack enough that you can hold off the hordes and gain XP. I wonder about that often in video games, like especially bullet hells, Mm -hmm. because a lot of them, there's no reason not to shoot except maybe uh, for, for clarity of vision. Right. That's about it. So it always makes me wonder why those old games would tax you to have to hammer on the button continuously. (laughs) A lot of them wouldn't even have an auto shoot if you held down the button. So yeah, true. This so this one, makes sense. One of the taglines of this game apparently is you are the bullet hell. Because huh. the enemies don't shoot. Mm. You shoot up to six different weapons. Right. And and they're Castlevania. Like, you know, there's an axe that goes up and down. There's a, a whip that goes sideways, that kind of thing. And yeah, it's like I said, it's three dollars. And for three dollars, it's kind of a steal. It's. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Like I said, it's kind of thin right now, but it is only yeah. in early access, so who knows where it's going to end up. But hmm. yeah, I think for three dollars, it's a it's a decent little time. Yeah, sounds pretty fun. Yeah, actually, that sounds like the kind of uh, broadly speaking that style of game. There's there's people that always say, oh, they should bring back zo- zombies ate my neighbors, mm-hmm. and that's the style of game it would be. I think if it came back, maybe. This is obviously inspired by Castlevania. Like the oh, yeah. the characters are obvious Castlevania character ripoffs. <laughs> Do they walk um, with their chest thrust out? I guess to some extent, maybe. Yeah. Hmm. Um but like all the weapons, you know, there's an axe, there's a knife, there's Santa water. Uh <laughs> the yeah, I have some concerns about the balance. I think there's a weapon called the G- uh, the King Bible, which yeah. I think is so powerful. Or it's it works so specific to the challenge that you have to overcome that it kind mm. of seems like it's necessary. And uh, so I sort of worry about that. I wonder if they might fix that. But uh, like I said, it's very early access and it's only three dollars. So it's pretty good. But one last right. thing. In 2020, the pilot for a cartoon came out on Adult Swim called Smiling Friends which is created by someone named Michael Cusack and someone named Zach Hadel. Now, mm. Zach Hadel is, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Do you know how sometimes there's like a show or something where there's a secondary character, but they're so good that they actually become the favorite character of everybody? Right. So there's a YouTuber 
or a YouTube channel called Oni Plays, which is run by a guy named Chris uh, O'Neill. And Aww. he has a he plays video games with a pack of friends. And one of those friends is Zach Hadel. And oh. Zach Hadel's his. His sense of humor and his comedic timing and his weird voice have kind of made him a favorite of fans of that channel. Mm. And so this is the cartoon series that he helped create and is a voice actor on. And hmm. like I said, the pilot came out in, I think it was April of 2020. Yeah. And just within the last week or last two weeks, uh, the next seven episodes all came out on Adult Swim. And I've hmm. been waiting to see this. So there's eight episodes now of Smiling Friends. The concept of it is that it's a company called the Smiling Friends whose job is to make people smile. People call them up that they can't smile. And then there's there's a, a series, a cast of characters. I think there's like five. There's like the boss. Um, there's a weird red guy named Alan and a little gremlin named Glep. But the main characters are a big yellow guy named Charlie and a little pink guy named Pim. Okay. And they are the ones who go on the missions to make people smile in whatever way. It's... It's an okay show. I'm not going to say that. I mean, you know, well, you don't know yet. Well, I've seen all seven episodes. Oh, okay. Okay. That's yeah. That's my point here. So, um, Zach Hadel is kind of an internet celebrity. So he has his own, I'm sure he has his own built in fandom who think this is the greatest thing ever. Hmm. Me as someone who is like, has watched Oni plays and gone. Yeah, he can be pretty funny sometimes, but is not deeply invested in it. I just look at it and go, yeah, okay. But there was one part of it in one episode that had me laughing out loud for like a minute. And that is, it's not a joke. It's a, this is one of those shows where all the characters in the world have different designs. You know, like they're not all humans. They're weird little creatures of various types. Usually I'm, (laughs) I'm kind of scrolling through and I'm, Seeing like a realistic wrinkly guy next to the main characters who look like Mr. Men. Yeah, that wrinkly guy is Mr. Boss. Okay. He's their boss. But yeah, a lot of the characters have really big noses because Zach Hadel's voice is very nasal. Like, I don't know why, but his like his nose doesn't work. He's the voice (laughs) of Charlie, the yellow guy. Okay. But so the point in me saying that all these characters have different designs is that there is one episode called Enchanted Forest where they had to go into an enchanted forest on a quest to make the princess smile. And they met a character named Mip. And as soon as he cut, as soon as he showed up, I laughed and couldn't stop because he is a direct copy of Bilbo Baggins from Rankin Bass's The Hobbit. Oh, yeah. As soon as I realized that that's what it was, not just in his character design, but in the way that he's animated, like the way he moves around. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those Rankin-Bass things were funny. Oh, yeah, I'm looking at them now. (laughs) I think the the thing about the Rankin-Bass stuff was there's like a uh, disconnect between the character designs and the director. (laughs) So, like, the characters would vacillate between two poses from their design sheet a lot, (laughs) which would look really weird, you know? You know what I mean, right? You yeah, know, what yeah, I mean? like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you be really conspicuous when they'd be like winking, right? So they'd point, and then they'd go back and wink, and then they'd point again and wink. 
you see now you see why i laughed like as i yeah. as i saw this character and then as i watched the way that he moved around i was like oh my gosh like i don't know for some reason as soon as he came out and i saw his bare hairy feet i just lost it and i couldn't stop that's such a narrow parody <laughs> it like, is, ha- at least at least half the watchers aren't going to recognize it but I did, and I don't yeah. care. I don't care about yeah. anybody else. I thought it was hilarious. Hmm. Ah, smiling friends. It's okay. All right. Well, let's let's uh, look at something else that may or may not be okay. <laughs> it's hard to judge. It uh, okay, is. So, uh, the series is Kaiba. The episode, the first one, is titled Your Name is Warp, and overall... It's directed by Masaki Yuasa in 2008. <laughs> so here's the basics. This show is weird. <laughs> it's cyberpunk with an original setting and scientific laws. But rather than transistors and metal and mohawks, it's more like rubbery flesh and plant matter. Hmm. Lots of liquid and gels. Rough, rocky terrain. And a style that looks like it's influenced by the comic Pure Trance or those really busy, cute Japanese pop art purses that were popular for like a hot minute. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know the ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So while it's really original, even as I say that, I'm going to make a comparison from the elevation of my own sense of hepness. Kaiba is like a creation by the synthesis of Jean-Girard Meebius... And Peter Chung, creator of Aeon Flux, Mm. then mentored by Osamu Tezuka, but ultimately disowned for being too weird. (laughs) So there you go. That's Kaiba. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. So uh, anyway, I'm not going to go much further into the basics because this first episode just thrusts you into it. Like further episodes have a short bit at the beginning that explains the concept of being able to like. Uh, well, basic cyberpunk kind of concepts about your mind being fluid, right? Or your body yeah. being fluid. Anyway. So so just to check in, you did watch other episodes then? I have, yeah. Okay. I watched the entire thing, actually. So this is... Oh. W- when we get to chatting about it, it'll probably be a talk about the series as a whole sure. rather than just the first episode. Okay. Anyway, the first episode. We open a shirtless blonde... Uh, boy, young man, probably nah. more than a boy. He wakes up to the bleary sight of a strange worm inching by in the blown open wall of the room that he's in. The hole leads outside to a tremendous drop so we can see windows and clotheslines. When he rises, his attention is drawn to his pendant. The picture inside the pendant is of a sneering girl out of focus. And then he notices the big hole in his chest, like an all the way through clean hole. It's as though he has no internal structures and his body is just a consistent mass. Hmm. Also, he has a peculiar triangular emblem on his tummy. A cursory glance around the room reveals a gold colored tool of some sort. Just then, two flying objects hurtle past the hole in the wall. When the boy looks outside to follow their movement, he also sees on a bridge three people call for help when they're ultimately victimized by flying worm things that kind of resemble bacteria like you'd see uh, through a microscope. 
their barbed mouths affixed to their heads and seem to suck out their consciousnesses. And just then, another young man emerges into the room from an archway. He has a large version of that golden tool, but it's so encumbersome that he wears it around his waist like a tuba. The new boy is in a red bodysuit, and he has his brown hair fashioned in a wavy spike at the front, like a cigarette lighter flame. <laughs> he asks if the blonde boy is okay, and when he answers that he is, a threatening flying machine arrives at the hole in the wall and brings its weapon to bear. The spike-haired boy fires his big golden gun in the path of both the boy and the drone, but suddenly, a wall-running bird-like creature arrives to scoop up the boy so that he's safely missed, and the deadliness of the shot is proven by the drone bursting into liquid when it's hit. <laughs> what a horrifying weapon that is. <laughs> well, yes and no when you consider the nature of consciousness and death in this world. I guess, but just, just on a experiential level of you yeah. watching that a direct hit from this weapon just turns you into liquid. Like, nothing's yeah. left almost. Blah. Yeah. It seems later on that, like, a strafing shot will just carve you out. So, like, it w doesn't explode, I guess. Anyway. Mm. The bird acrobatically jumps out, springs off a laundry line, and then runs along the walls away from those worm predators we saw earlier. Seemingly by instinct and will, the boy uses supernatural abilities to liquefy his pursuers with just a thought. But on a flying vehicle, a man in a cape becomes their newest pursuer, and he points his golden pistol at them. But a timely shot from another vehicle rider liquefies the man, leaving only a hard cone to bounce along the ground. This chain of destruction continues when another drone arrives to suck the shooter into its sack. It collides into another vehicle, and this madcap chase continues. Our protagonist clings to his runaway bird amid swarming predators until he is flung from the bird through a brown waterfall. When a drone follows through, it is trapped and then assaulted by rogues of various ages wielding metal pipes. Its segmented sacks are opened to reveal catatonic captives. Several of these little cones are found when the group um, inside the, the drone wreckage and the group gives each a voice by plugging the cone into a machine in order to figure out their identities. I mean, a literal voice, like the personality can talk. Uh, apparently, the drone captures people and extracts their minds, these metal cones. And the people here are pretty draconian about whether or not to return minds since bodies are another mouth to feed and also bodies can be sold. And several minds are revealed to be merely held in a rolling wheel of robotic faces. It's like the big wheel from Price is Right, hmm. ex except rather than uh, numbers, it's got faces that talk when it rolls by. The boy just watches all this speechlessly. And this is apparently like the undercity of the unwashed poor living by the shadowy trade of bodies and minds. A child in a weird horned body approaches the boy and tests his chest hole by passing her toy through it. And she asks if the picture in his locket is his girlfriend, but he doesn't know. That spike-haired boy, well-liked and named Popo, delivers water to this underground community. When he sees the stranger again, he introduces himself 
but he recognizes that the main character possesses no memories. As they walk, he fills him and us in on the world. It's divided into two, the higher realm separated by thick clouds. They pass people making a hot air balloon, but in their conversation, Popo reveals that it's fruitless endeavor because they always come back having lost their memories because of the clouds they have to pass through. He carries on about the disparities in class, where the rich live forever, always switching bodies. They're nearly ambushed then by an agent riding a big butterfly, but again, the boy uses his strange power to defend them. Popo tells him that it would be dangerous to shelter him. Instead, he takes him to a seedy club and arranges his transport with a rich lady based on his sex appeal. While the, uh, the amnesiac boy turns and exhibits himself, a caped figure takes notice of his tummy emblem and attacks. See, this emblem apparently has some meaning because we see it on the gates on the walls. Popo lures the attacker away while letting uh, the unnamed boy escape under the noblewoman's dress. The last thing he imparts is naming the boy Warp, instructing him that he has to tell his name when he reaches the end of his destination. Warp is taken to a dark room on a ship, his mind to be put into only a half-seen body in storage, while his, his actual body will travel in the quarters. Meanwhile, Popo goes to a dark laboratory to have a mindsmith tamper with the mind of an unconscious girl, the very same one from Warp's locket. The Cape Man, apparently an officer of the law, tracks Warp to a ship, but he can't stop it from taking off. Even though he tries to negotiate with a shady security officer named Vanilla to get aboard the launching craft, the weird bird from earlier interferes and secretly delivers a strange organism that looks like a bell with a face, stumpy legs, and head propellers onto the ship, <laughs> apparently by design of that mindsmith from earlier. That's the first episode of Kaiba. <laughs> yeah, that's something to take in, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, I usually I'll cut a lot of details to summarize, but I, I don't know. I don't know what... Someone who has not seen it, if can they follow what I was speaking about there? I, I well, tried. It's, um, well, it's hard because like it, it's the first episode of twelve, and it's really setting up a mystery. There's well, so ever, much in it that you don't understand until you've seen the rest of it. Yes, and it, well, I had to rewatch it, obviously, right? Yeah, and everything is weird in this show. So, hmm. like, even just recognizing what things are. So, when you get to a point where there's humans, and I'm like, oh yeah, those are people, right? They still look so weird that I'm on my back foot still, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm, st I'm still digesting their weird clothes and weird faces. Here's the thing. So I watched more episodes and yeah. I watched it all, in fact. Um, right. And there is a logic to this. Like, if this was just a bunch of weird stuff, it would not be confusing because it would be meaningless. You know what I mean? Right. But, you know, it doesn't take that long for you to just accept what you're seeing on the show, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Like, like, so we're talking about this overall. Overall, I like the show. It's a travel story through mo through the first half of it. Yeah. So have you ever seen Galaxy Express 3-9? Um, I don't think so. 
it would be on TV once in a while. It's an, it's an anime about um, a boy who gets on a train that travels through outer space. Okay. He's like on a mission th of revenge, but along the way, they stop here and there, and he gets a chance to uh, absorb a local tale of sentiment and tragedy, you know, mm -hmm. wherever he goes. And this is kind of similar in that regard, at least for the first half. Yeah. Because I... Now, he's, he's called Warp, but you quickly learn at the beginning of episodes, they, they have their little summary about how uh, people can transfer their minds into different bodies, and not only that, they can remove memories they dislike and input memories uh, that, that are desirable, right? Yeah, and so, the other there are mechanisms in place for other people to look into people's memories and oh, yeah. alter them, as, as that was implied in that first episode. Heck, not even just look into, physically enter. Yes, absolutely. Um, so yeah, that, that opening that gives you that little description of that also will update you on what body the main character currently is in. And so they, they actually name him Kaiba. I was wondering at what point in the series they would confirm, like, this character's name is Kaiba, and here's the reason why. Yeah. Eventually, I, eventually they get there. Yeah, it's a kind of a pet peeve of mine when a show will know the name of someone before it's been explained to the audience, if that makes sense. Like, I guess. Like, there's, yeah. well, there's an example in there's, there's a cartoon series called uh, Bee and Puppy Cat. Right. And in the first episode of that, uh, B is a girl who has a kind of dog cat thing and they go on jobs doing temp work. And in the first episode, <laughs> they meet this robot that almost incinerates her for, you know, intruding on a secret place. But then uh, Puppy Cat saves her. And at the end of the episode, she says, and thanks for not letting Tempbot burn me up. And that yeah. always frustrated me because they never introduced that character as Tempbot. Maybe she just uh, dubbed it there. Maybe. <laughs> Named it herself. But it's the same mm. thing here. It was like, so here's our hero Kaiba. It's like, what? wait, we, we yeah. weren't told that. We were told that the only name we were given for this guy is Warp. Well, the, only the narrator does that, though. Yeah, true. But still, it, it's telling us, the audience, information that we shouldn't have. But also it gives us something to call this character who keeps changing bodies. And, you know, actually, I I thought that he was going to change more bodies than he did by the end. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yes. Especially, I, I felt like the opening credits hint at it because it keeps shifting between people. Mm -hmm. You know, like parts keep changing or whatever. But no, it's just, I guess, every main character, every character of any focus gets their own little look um, yeah. there. But. And there are some... What does he go through? Th one, two, three different bodies, I think. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you can see, like, why I say this This is a cyberpunk story. Mm -hmm. And I would say this is the most minor spoilers. And anyone who decides to watch this will forget about it, probably by the time they, they have digested all these episodes. Um, okay. So I have an ambivalent kind of feeling toward the style of ending this show has. And I wondered if something like it was coming, just because it is a weird show. Hmm. Now, there are shows, uh, there are like famous shows, uh, like Evangelion's one of them, uh, Big O, Outlaw Star, that have these endings that sort of belie the experience you've had up to that point, because they're just these giant experiences. Like, it's nothing but miracles. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. So like Evangelion sets you up like, 
okay, so there's these there's these power suits, they have these rules, and when enemies come, we logically think of ways to defeat them, you know, and and there's intrigue and all that. And then you get to the final episodes, and it has multiple endings, but anyway, that and it's just like all this crazy crud happens, you know? Yeah. You know, or Outlaw Star, this is about spaceships, but in the end... Everything gets metaphysical and the embodiment of our will becomes like giant hands and stuff. And it's just like I've watched this stuff the whole way. And now this end is sort of nonsense. Yeah. But at the same time, these kinds of episodes are like giant spectacle. So they're not unenjoyable. Right. Right. Like they wash over you. Like, I mean, (laughs) I I think it's cliche. People talk like acid trips. Right. Yeah. But the show is sort of an acid trip, no matter what episode you watch. A little bit. But to then get to the end, and it is sort of like that, when I would have preferred, like, the early... The show is kind of half and half. Like, the the first half is more episodic, and... Um, it's a journey. In, yeah. It gives you intimate looks into people, right? Yeah. And then it's still sort of like that in the back half, where we get more details filled in but then by the end yeah it is just kind of like well there's no rules there's just a bunch of stuff is happening like i said sort of disappointing and yet not uh still entertaining mm-hmm. you know no i agree i agree fully i was kind of disappointed a little bit by the ending yeah. as well like it just that the the way that the show was going and what it was and yeah. then what it kind of changed into more or less as Kaiba or Warp started to regain memories and re like understand who he was. Like right. it was fun when he was kind of at a loss and learning things and becoming, you know, kind of a new person. And then yeah. it all goes away because he regains his memories and becomes the person he used to be. And it's it's like the show kind of lost its point, sort of, in favor of just wrapping up its story. It's Kind of weird that it answers too many questions, hmm. and yet it leaves a lot of delicious meals just unserved, right? Like, <laughs> like it hints, it hints at stuff like, uh, let's see, um, how much of you are is in the body? Because it's hinted like that bodies, even without their memories, once something new inhabits it, will still have kind of like trace elements of who they were, right? Or hmm. like, uh, what does it mean uh, to be someone new? When you have your memories taken, you know, in part, and then what does that mean to coexist with a duplicate that has a lot of your memories? Yeah. They get, they give us a sniff, but they don't service the meal on that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think, I think the concept of like, so to give us a little bit of background, uh, this, this just popped up uh, a couple years ago. In, on my YouTube, just algorithms thought I would like a clip of this. And yeah. it was a clip. I think it might have been a clip of the second episode or maybe third because I watched a few clips. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was going into this. like I actually watched this just because these clips were so weird that I needed context. Mm. Like, I think the first clip I saw to give you an idea, it won't help the audience, but to give you it was in the. The second episode, the part with the rich lady that he travels with. Okay. Um, 
her death, let's say. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So that was the first thing that I saw was that. And then the follow up with vanilla, you know, uh, kind of dispersing the crowd and like the captain looking into memories and stuff. And, and then I watched a clip of, I think a, a later episode. I'm not sure if it was the third or which one it was, but it was the one where he was in a female body coming out yeah. of the bathroom, kind of uncertain what was happening to him. Huh, yeah, yeah. And I kind of recognized the same voice, but right. also what I didn't realize at the time was it was the same voice, but a different character than the one that I'd seen in the first episode or the, the clip of the second episode, as it should say. Yeah. So I was really confused about who the characters were and what was going on and where they were. And it, I was like, okay, I need to actually watch this and see what's going on. By the and, way, mm. we're talking about the weird technology of this show. <laughs> I do like that there's payoff to why uh, why Kaiba doesn't know how to use a female toilet and they show how it works later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really understand. What, well, it, it, I, I won't go into <laughs> I mean, right. I it, there's there's other details are like, what? Why? I don't get it. But it's experiential, this thing, like talking about the uh, that rich lady. She's a hedonist like this. Kind of. This, sh- this show has a weird sexuality to it. Like mm-hmm. it's both it's both pretty hot and also uh, unsettling. <laughs> yeah. So like in her case, she seems to just want any extreme sensation. Right. Well, just, yes. Like, her, her, her dialogue is nuts when she's. Oh, uh, yeah. In the throes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, who she has selected for her partner. Oh, yeah. Like, I got the impression from her, because you mentioned um, Kaiba being smuggled under her dress. Dress yeah. doesn't really do it justice. It's like this shell no. that covers her entire body from the eyes down. Yeah. And I got the impression that she was really vain, but also... Mm like literally in love, like in romantic and sexual love with herself to the point yeah. that she didn't want to sit, let anybody else see her body. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Which also, you know, explains why she wanted to see Kaiba's body and why she did what she did with Kai with <laughs> the memories in that body. I'm, I'm really tiptoeing around stuff here. Right. Um, but if you well, if you choose to watch it, it's in the second episode, so you won't have to wait long. I'll plunge. I'll plunge into something. I won't tiptoe. Um, so you, people talk about how they want to see themselves represented in somewhere. Uh-huh. If you've got a small butt, this show is for you. <laughs> <laughs> there are small butts that are sensualized throughout this thing. You know, like pants that barely hug on to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it's. Hmm. It's a weird show. I fear that anyone who watches the first episode and doesn't devote much of their attention to it will abandon it because they won't understand what's going on. Yeah. So. And like I say, when, you know, I say that sometimes that maybe me outlining the synopsis will be hard to follow. Maybe it's easier because you don't have things getting in the way, like you pointing, going, what's that? What's that? You know? <laughs> yeah, kind of. It's a mystery. So yeah. keep that in mind. The first episode is giving you a whole bunch of stuff that you won't understand, but it is explained. And I, 
I think you implied that you went back and watched it again. I did. Well, I, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also watched through it again because I'm like, now that I've seen everything, let me go back and see the hints. I'm not sure that the plot altogether holds up, mm. but uh, I don't know. It's it's something yeah. that's kind of fun to watch. It's if oh, you, yes, it's if experiential. It, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. You know, I would have liked so for some more little things. I would have liked some more CG. There was mm. CG in the first episode that contributes to some of the weirdness of its look. Yeah. And it kind of disappears after that. Yeah. Um, and I guess, uh, I guess it was expensive or something, right? It was easier to make it without it. I would have mm. liked to see some later in the show. Um, one of the things about the experience, the opening and closing songs are really captivating. Mm-hmm. They're sung by Sarah Kagami. And my instinct was that it was going to be a Westerner singing them because the English was so unaccented. Right. But pretty cool. Pretty cool music. Um, I have a, a few notes on the voice actors. Mm-hmm. Oh, one thing broadly about the voice actors, a lot of women playing young men in this. Yeah. Now, uh, Hoko Kwashima uh, plays Kaiba, and she's best known, I guess, probably for Claire from Claymore. It's a kind of like a vampire hunting vampire sort of thing, except they're not vampires. Okay. They're monster guys. Anyway, um, Romy Park plays Popo and is Edward in Full Metal Alchemist, which I assume to be the first one, the first Full Metal Alchemist. <laughs> Also, she's one of the Nanas from the damned series Nana that I was so hard on before. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hisao Agawa plays Vanilla. Now, Vanilla, he's uh, he's this, like, brutish kind of character, right? He's, yeah. he's really tubby. His, his shirt doesn't cover his stomach. Yeah. Um, he's got a loping forehead, which doesn't quite do it justice. Yeah. Um, and so, as you might imagine, he plays a lot of manly characters of varying dignity. Mm-hmm. But you, I thought you'd get a kick out of this. He also played Gutsman in one of the Mega Man NT Warrior games. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. He just he just likes playing characters with those lips, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Anyway, yeah. Uh, Kaiba, I say give it a shot. I agree. That was yeah. why I wanted to give it to you. Hmm. I'm glad that you enjoyed it at least somewhat. Oh, I liked it quite a bit, actually. Good, good, good. Now, how about something that I guess is more familiar? Can there be anything more familiar than yeah. He-Man and the Masters of the Universe? Maybe Garfield. <laughs> um. Yeah, so He-Man, uh, this is the show that I watched. It's based on an action figure line that came out in 1981. I'm sure everybody knows it because, among other things, we've talked about He-Man broadly in a previous episode. Uh, in a few previous episodes, episodes actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We have we have talked about two separate He-Man series and its spinoff She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. So this is the original. And go. This is called Quest for He-Man. And we get right into the action with two of Skeletor's henchmen, Trapjaw and Triclops, on flying machines called Sky uh, Sky Sleds, attacking hey, the yeah. palace. You know, Worshippers of the Holy Sprocket. You know, toys. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Sprocket. Yeah. Boo. That's a uh, Revelations reference. So stupid. Okay. (laughs) So they're on Sky Sleds uh, because that's a toy that you can buy. 
And of course, Prince Adam, who is He-Man, don't you know? Uh, he transforms into He-Man and he summons another toy, a flying machine called a Wind Raider. You know, I can't help but think that like he summons it just by whistling. Yeah. And I can't help but think that if He-Man's vehicle is in Eternia's palace, isn't it just a matter of time before somebody makes the leap and like, OK, He-Man must be someone in this palace. Well, I, you made me just think that, you know, the, the Wind Raider's got like a plastic orange head at the at the hood. Yes. I was just imagining that it was just nearby grazing <laughs> and it heard the whistle, you know. <laughs> Possibly. I'm just remembering now that that head mm. on the toy was the spindle that controlled the grappling hook. Yeah. I forgot about that until this minute because the grappling hook does come in here. Anyway, yep. so so he's in the Wind Raider, he's flying, and Orko shows up to tag along and do nothing. Although he will <laughs> be important later. How does he work? He teleports in and he's floating, and He-Man tells him to hold on tight. <laughs> so as soon as he teleports in, he is moving at the same speed as the Wind Raider, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Physics, man. Yeah. He's, he's, Orko physics. He's a troll and, you know... E Eternia physics don't apply to him. Mm. I don't know. Okay, so anyway, so He-Man distracts Triclops because <laughs> theoretically Triclops, he has three eyes. So theoretically, he's like a D&D beholder and he can see everything, even mm. though he still has to turn his head to talk to He-Man. He um, can't speak in every direction. I guess, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, he can't see as Ram Man, another dude with spring legs and a hard head, or at least a hard helmet. He springs up and smashes through Triclops' sky sled, where Triclops is apprehended by Duncan, the man-at-arms. And Triclops says to himself and to us that Skeletor's plan had better work. <laughs> this whole thing's yeah. a setup. Hmm. So He-Man uses what I guess is a grappling hook, although it really looks more like a drill, hmm. to uh, knock down Trapjaw. And when He-Man lands, Trapjaw baits him into a chase. And when He-Man follows his cyborg quarry through a weird stone arch, he's frozen in place by a weird pink energy field. Oh no, Skeletor is here. And this was his plan all along. By the way, it bugs me when there's a magical or chemical effect that freezes people, but their eyes yeah. and mouth can still move. Or when they're actually frozen in ice, especially. That was yeah. really weird to me. Muscles are muscles. Oh, by the way, hmm? this arch looks like the arch that uh, Bones jumps through in Star Trek to go to the Dedge of Tomorrow. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> Assassins! Murderers! Yeah. <laughs> okay. So now Orko is there, and Evil Lynn offers to go get him, but Skeletor makes his fatal mistake in calling her off. So Orko gets to see what happens next. And what happens next is that Skeletor casts a spell that erases He-Man's memories and then another spell to banish He-Man to another dimension. And if he had this power all along, why is he just using it now? It probably took months to set up. Like he probably had to stir a cauldron or something outside of that arch. And, and there's like... It, 
expensive material components and he could only yeah he could only find one gem worth worth at least 10,000 gp <laughs> right exactly yeah. he, he he talks about pledging himself to the sources of darkness or something like that yeah. right so maybe he had to like make a contract or whatever oh he's a warlock not a wizard hmm well yeah maybe okay. that's that's a really that's a really specific delineation Anyway, well, at, at any rate, he, he gets one over on old He-Man. So, yeah, yeah. He-Man's memories are gone and he is banished away from this world. And just then the heroes of Eternia show up. But Skeletor and Evil Lynn use magic to escape, leaving Trapjaw to be captured. You know, what's funny about that. What? I think Skeletor, Evil Lynn and Trapjaw could probably whoop ass on Man-at-Arms, Ram-Man and Orko. Well, uh, Stratos I, was there, too. And Tila. Was he? And the I battle guess. ram. <gasps> they had a tank. I, I think Skeletor just abandons Trapjaw because it's an opportunity to be, to be bad and he can't resist himself, you know? <laughs> well, it's every, I mean, I it's, he's not even thinking specifically, ah, this is a good time to abandon, like, betray my henchmen. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to get away from here because I can. You guys are on your own. And Evelyn's yeah. like, I can also get out of here on my own. <laughs> and Trapjaw's yeah. like, what about me? <laughs> okay, anyway, the villains are out of the way for the rest of this episode. Mm. Now, Man-at-Arms, Cringer, Orko, and Ram-Man head to Castle Grayskull to seek counsel with the Sorceress, because presumably Orko explained what happened. Mm. Now, the Sorceress, she knows that she won't be able to find He-Man, because He-Man has been banished to the crossroads of all universes. He could be literally anywhere. And she can't help, but she knows someone who can. The Watcher of all the cosmos, Zodak, which kind of popped to me because I was like, oh, this is the episode with Zodak. Mm -hmm. Zodak, by the way, is just this dude Um, (laughs) in this. He's, you know, some extra dimensional being who sees all of reality. And it's weird because in the toys on the back of the packages, he was always listed as one of the villains. And yeah, I guess it's for they, symmetry's sake. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this was just one of those, uh, he doesn't, we need to find a place for this guy, for the yeah. cartoon. So anyway, he knows everything. But he can't interfere with the affairs of mortals, except to interfere by giving Orko <laughs> <Yes>. a magic <laughs> wand. <laughs> and prophesying that Orko, Cringer, and Ram Man must go find He-Man because Man-at-Arms will be needed here on Eternia. And if this was a if this was a more modern cartoon, the next episode would be what Man-at-Arms was doing while everyone else was gone. Right. <laughs> anyway, um, we now we get to see He-Man. Now he wakes up on a desolate world where he is appro- uh, approached by bouncing pink creatures. He doesn't know what his sword is, but a native of the planet, a bird lady with a white panther, takes it to mean that he intends to harm the Schmilovitz. Schmilovitz. (laughs) Which are these pink bouncy things. She uses a ray from her staff to disarm He-Man, sending his sword to bury itself in a tree stump. And she assumes that the stranger is one of Plundor's goons, but He-Man doesn't know who he is. And then the bird lady only now realizes that the weird non-furry is an alien and decides to take him home with her. But the part... Yeah. <laughs> hmm? Go on. 
What's weird is that this, this planet is so alien, and yet its fauna, except for the Schmindivitz, are um, very Earth-like. Schmillivitz. <laughs> Schmillivitz, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know. Anyway, the party is being watched by a purplish-pink rabbit man, who is one of those villains who has panning cameras everywhere. Mm-hmm. He identifies this bird lady as Gleedle, and himself as Plundor the Spoiler. That is fantastic. <laughs> that, he is, that he is by himself at his throne, and he takes time to turn to the camera and say, Me, Plunder the Spoiler! Yeah, 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 yeah. He has this weird English voice. I'm not sure who he sounds like exactly. Anyway, hmm. back on Eternia, the rescue party is preparing to travel through the time corridor, and Zodak interferes one more time. He tells... He-Man, or he says, to tell He-Man to talk of home. The trio travel through the empty space between worlds until Zodak's wand glows, and they're guided to the spot where He-Man landed. There, they find his sword, and Cringer gets the scent to begin tracking. Back at Gleedle's place, she explains that the planet is called Trainus, and she looks after the animals. But the planet has fallen on hard times recently since Plundor came and started destroying the environment. Speaking of which, now some of uh, Plundor's drones show up. He-Man tries to fight them off, not really knowing what he's doing, but one of them uses sleeping smoke to knock everyone out, and it takes off with He-Man and Gleedle. Now Cringer is doing his best to follow He-Man's scent on this filthy planet, and he runs headfirst into Gleedle's cat, or Pooch, as Orko calls him. Communicating with the other panther, Cringer gets the story of what happened. Now we go back to Plundor's base, where he uses ridiculous cartoonish alarms to wake up Gleedle and He-Man. He condemns Gleedle to his dungeon while offering to partner with He-Man to make a fortune in apparent American dollars. You see, <laughs> he has collected a beaker full of the life force of Tradus, which he intends to sell. The rescue party is just outside, but before they can take their foes by surprise, they are taken su- by surprise by their foe's robot. Hmm. Inside, He-Man's sense of right has withstood Skeletor's magic, and he declines Plundor's offer. Just then, Ram Man bursts into the room, having overpowering, having overpowered, rather, the drone. So Plundor summons more drones, confident that these will do the trick. Now, oh boy, this is my favorite part. Orko tries to figure out what talking of home means. Right. The idiot, failing to recognize, one, that He-Man was the one who was supposed to talk of home... And mm. even assuming that Orko is the one who's supposed to do it, he doesn't seem to know what that simple instruction indicates. <laughs> I can talk of my home pretty readily. Right. So naturally, Ram Man rams through some of the drones like nothing, while the other drones accost Cringer. And finally, Orko jumps to the conclusion that He-Man would feel most at home at Castle Grayskull, the place where he doesn't live and only goes in emergencies. Right. (laughs) He takes takes He-Man away for some reason and directs him to hold up the sword and say the magic words by the power of Grayskull. And that is what brings back his memory. 
now that he knows what to do and now or he knows who he is and he knows what to do and he transforms Cringer into Battle Cat, thus giving away his secret identity to Ram Man. I'm glad you picked up on that. Because yeah. <laughs> if Battle Cat is Cringer and his owner is He-Man, then Cringer's owner must be actually that's probably too much for the perpetually concussed Ram Man to figure out. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Just the same old story. Uh, Bat- Cringer went away when Battlecat got here. Oh, makes sense to me. The guys, I think Prince Adam is He-Man. Adam, <laughs> he's too cowardly to be He-Man. Annie. But he's got an orange striped cat just like him. <laughs> yeah. And he looks yeah. exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Adam's voice doesn't a- have an echo effect on it. That... You know, maybe it's as dumb as as uh, Clark Kent. <laughs> he looks the same. Yeah, because I'm a big fan of He-Man. I cut my hair the same way. You know, at least in later He-Man series, they made Adam like a scrawny, like normal sized human and had him grow muscles when he turned into He-Man. Yeah, I think that's better. Yeah. Oh, it definitely is better. Come on. What are we talking yeah. about? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Battle Cat and He-Man wreck the remaining robots. And Plundor, who, oh, what? You got something to say? Yeah, the animation for He-Man wrecking the robots is pretty cool. It is. Like, it's original animation. He slocks one, and then he does a pirouette kick on another. I was going to say, it's one of the rare instances where they had to draw new cells. Yeah. Uh, Plundor hasn't moved from his throne this whole time, and he continues to not move from his throne. He uses buttons to make a mechanical arm <laughs> instead of his own arm, Put the magic liquid in a rocket with the old, if I can't have it, nobody can job. Hmm. He-Man jumps onto the rocket and rides it, changes its trajectory, and jumps off before it explodes. Which, of course, spreads the liquefied life force of Trainus back over the planet, restoring it to its former beauty. And in the after... Thank goodness. Yeah. And in magic the- liquid, all right. Magic liquid. Yeah, well, sorry. yeah, you know, if, if you yeah. were dead... And someone just sprinkled your blood all over you. You'd spring back to life, right? Makes sense. Yep. So in the aftermath, Plundor, in traditional black and white striped prison guard, has to single-handedly destroy his evil factory. The friends get ready to return home, but not before Ram Man has some fun bouncing with the Schmilovitz. And then Zodak reminds us to take care of our environment. It's funny. <laughs> they hit Plundor cracking rocks with a, with a sledge. Yeah. I was thinking that at that moment, Nutsy's crossbow fires off. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> um, um, boy, I have a lot of affection for the Masters of the Universe. And whenever I watch the old series, I kind of wonder why. Because... <laughs> this is a weird one. This is not... A good cartoon. Hmm. You have just put, given me something on disc. Oh. So. Yeah, they made an action figure of Plundor eventually. Hmm. Okay. No action figure yet of Gleedle with her bird boobs, but. Uh, oh. Yeah. Boy, her. <laughs> her design. Her. She's like an Egyptian god, right? She's got like a beast head, but then the rest is just Tila, essentially. <sighs> When you see a character, I don't know how to explain this. (laughs) Tila and Evelyn basically kind of have similar armor, which, and they're basically the only two female characters in this show. 
And yep. they managed to get away from having to draw breasts properly by putting like weird curved horns around them. Okay. And Gleedle, they just give her this top and they do yep. not know how to draw breasts. I know huh. I know this is a very weird and niche niche complaint, but it's like they're just these like W shape that hmm. it's like this it's hard to explain. It's this weird crease that doesn't properly I don't know, maybe I'm paying attention too much attention to her breasts. But I thought they mostly did an alright job, but no. uh I guess you're gonna have to post examples. No, they they suck. Um right. and there's a couple of shots where her butt also sucks. <laughs> they mm, man. Hey, I less said about that the better. Or bleh. No. I have a few things. Like He Man is not that invincible in this episode. No. As you, as you noted, he's suspended and mind wiped. Yep. And he goes down to knockout gas. Now, granted, I guess if he had his memory, he would have created a whirlwind <laughs> in any number of ways in order to blow it away. That's but. true. Yes. Um, I was thinking about this as I was walking home from work today that He Man is kind of. I sort of thought of describing He Man as like Superman, but then I started to think yeah. of all his failings. He doesn't. His only real superpower is strength. And basically, you know, he can sometimes blow real hard or run real fast when he has to. <laughs> but he is susceptible to things. That, if you shot him with a bullet, he would die. It's he just deflect it. That's the thing. He he is very good at deflecting him with his sword. But if he was actually hit by a projectile, he would be injured. I don't know, because. His fist is not, like, all bloody and broken when he punches a cliff apart. Well, that's true. So I, I think a bullet wouldn't do anything to him. I think it would do Superman-y kind of things. Like, I, th I think the lead would just compact and fall off his body. Hmm. It's a good thing no one in this world has bullets. They use lasers. Maybe, maybe like, energy. Because energy is not matter. Maybe energy is well, his weakness. When, when he crosses over with She-Ra... Yes. There is an instance where Hordak just shoots him and incapacitates him, which, again, is just, like, for the sake of convenience, but they don't... He he should be, like, riddled with shots, you know? <laughs> he should have, like, a building fall on him to be believably captured. <laughs> or just but, suspended in an energy field. Yeah, well, I don't... It's a little silly, but I don't mind it half as much. Mm. You know, because it doesn't feel pedestrian. It was like a trap they had to set no, no, up. No, I, no, I don't mind it. I like the fact, like, because Superman is kind of boring. I like the fact that yes. He-Man actually has weaknesses that he has to avoid. Like, he can be trapped in ways like this. Yeah, but at the same time, he does absurd things. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm sure I've mentioned it probably on this before. My favorite feat of strength that he has done was one where he ran around a lake several times mm. and then ran away from the lake and the sheer speed that he would, had was, sucked the water behind him and chased him, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he, t he took the whole lake with him. I, well, he does bonkers things. I, have, I know that I've mentioned on this podcast one of my f standout feats, which is when he ran around in a circle in a desert real fast and melted the sand into a pane of glass. <laughs> yeah, so he is Superman, essentially. Yeah, kind of, in some ways. Actually, actually, that reminds me. I watched The Eternals recently. You know, that Marvel movie? Um, and it's got this thing that happens in comics all the time with Superman and characters like him, mm -hmm. where 
somebody travels from Earth to the sun in mere minutes. And it's just like, that's really far, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. I guess it, yeah. in, in comic books and cartoons, they just figure we can see the sun. So it's not that far. No, it's really far. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, Futurama ten. does that a lot, you know, where they can just. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, you know, they just travel to the moon. It's second episode of Futurama. They travel to the moon in seconds. Like before yeah, Fry yeah. can finish his countdown. There's another episode where um, Fry and um, what's her name? Amy are just hanging out on Mercury. And it's, oh, it's yeah. totally fine. As you know, Skeletor just disappears from the episode. Yeah, his job's done. He, he gets gets no comeuppance. Um, and possibly he doesn't know He-Man survived. So maybe they set him up for a big ambush later on. Well, I don't know. <laughs> where maybe, they, you know, just played it up. Maybe Skeletor's like, okay, tomorrow... With me and my remaining minions, I guess, uh, Merman and Too Bad and Stinkor, <laughs> we yeah. are going to go break Trapjaw and Triclops out and take over Eternia from that ninny King Randor. And then he goes you know, there and He-Man's like, hi, Skeletor. Yeah. And Skeletor's like, what are you doing here, you blonde boob? Maybe, maybe he saw it on, like... Uh, Plundor and Skeletor and Dr. Claw and all these people must have like a subscription service where they get these cameras everywhere. So maybe he just saw that he was back. You know, just he just saw He-Man buying a hot dog or something. Curses! It's like, oh my gosh. So in my mind, this, I'm thinking about the uh, camera service that exists on Earth called Ring. And I'm oh, thinking yeah. maybe this is a service run by Sauron and it's called One Ring. <laughs> yeah, because if He's anybody knows in, anything man. about seeing everything, it's <laughs> so wrong. Makes sense. All right. Oh, we solved it. Great. Oh, speaking of easy, easy solutions again. After this episode, I think He Man needs to engrave what to do on his power sword in case he ever loses <laughs> his memory. <laughs> you know, so that the next time he can just look and go, "Oh, okay." By the power of Grayskull, you know. That's not a bad idea. Um, except that I think the sword might be invulnerable. Well, you know, uh, use a label maker then or something. Maybe you can use, a, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Maybe it can be vulnerable. But like, so I guess in theory, there's like two pieces to this sword and Skeletor has the other one. In some lore. In some yeah. lore. Maybe the other sword can like etch in it. You know what the deal toy wise for the sword was? I think you may have explained it in a previous episode, but go ahead. I don't think so. Um, so when you put them together, there's a hole next to the jaw bridge of Castle Oh, Grayskull, right, yes. And it's a key. Yes. You put it in and you turn it and yeah, yeah. Yes, I, I had the uh, uh, Grayskull playset. I remember that keyhole. I remember mm. looking in and seeing how it worked. So this is sort of a famous episode, I guess. <laughs> Just because it's so weird. Although, unbelievably, not the weirdest episode on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, can we get weird episodes for next week's podcast? Oh, gosh. Um, no, uh, well, well, I guess it who, depends on who you ask. Okay. Um, so we are going to theme next episode around adulthood. Uh-huh. Yeah. Adulting is hard. So we're going to watch some cartoons about it. Uh, in this case, Matsy, I would like you to watch the first episode of Rilakkuma and Kauru. Okay. Available on Netflix. Oh, all right. On, okay. uh, on 
Yeah, I should. As, as, as of the time of this recording. Okay. I should be able to find that then. Um, for me, I, I wasn't really sure where to go with this exactly. It was an interesting theme, but I wasn't sure how to deal with it. Because uh-huh. a lot of cartoons are about children or about adults acting like children. Right. And so I thought, if I can find a cartoon with some adults who normally act like children having to do adult things, that might be good. Okay. All right. So Police Academy, the animated series. Oh, my God. <laughs> you've just you've just blown a pick for why does this exist, too? <laughs> <laughs> Which episode am I watching of this? <laughs> uh, it's called Nine Cops and One Baby. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that we should do another um, why does this exist? Because I've got some ideas. Oh, yeah. Oh, so do I. But. In the meanwhile, though, we got to do um, the first episode of Rilakkuma and Kauru, and it's three three police and a baby. Nine, nine, nine police and a nine baby. cops, yeah, okay. nine cops and one nine baby. Cops. All right. Well, um, we actually have a full mailbag this week. Yeah. Yeah, it's got one tweet in it. <laughs> it's not a very big mailbag. So this is from. Uh, uh, Edion, once again, yeah. uh, Edion added us and said to both one more. Oh, sorry. Also, the, the comic regulars of Darths and Droids think the best cartoon ever was What's Opera Doc? Opinions. Hmm. So we're probably going to watch What's Opera Doc for next week as a little bonus. Yeah, I agree. We should. Um, but in the meanwhile, just the broad topic of what's the best cartoon. Now, if what's Opera Doc is an answer, I think that that limits it to cartoons under eight minutes. Mm. And probably they mean golden era or earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Let's say like, you know, theatrical shorts. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I can say the best, like outright best, but I can say like the ones I like best mm-hmm. of some of them. Yeah. So Warner Brothers probably feed the kitty. Oh, the, the uh, yeah. The Mark Antony and Pussyfoot. Yeah. One. Yeah. With the famous uh, baking cookie scene. Yep, that's we've reviewed that one in a previous episode, and it's real good. And I can double up on my Chuck Jones fanboy Enos by picking as my favorite Tom and Jerry um, of feline bondage. You know that one? Not from the title. It's the one where Tom is abusing Jerry, and then his fairy godmouse appears and makes him invisible so that he can get revenge. Oh, weird. I'm, I'm sure I would remember it if I saw it. I'm having trouble picturing it, it now, but I I bet if I saw it, I would like, oh, this one. Yeah, it's the, got the wackiest ending of any Tom and Jerry cartoon. And also, I like that it's quite dark overall. Is it wackier than the, the one where uh, Jerry and his little nephew are musketeers and it ends with Tom in the guillotine? <laughs> uh, yeah, it is wackier than that. <laughs> is it darker? <laughs> Um, it's got a dark sense of humor. Okay. La mauvaise blague. Okay. But yeah, it's... Hmm. Anyway, uh, so those are a couple golden age picks. If it, if it gets expanded, like what pool you can pick from, mm. you start getting into some other weird things. Like, uh, I might even say like the Tiny Toon Adventures Particle Man music video. <laughs> if I can pick pick a third episode That's from something. That's a good you know? one. Yeah. Particle Man. And then... 
there's got to be like other rules. Like for me, it's got to have technical excellence. Mm. So I couldn't pick something like a Teen Girl Squad episode because <laughs> it's barely animated, right? right. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Do you have any like well uh, cartoons of note? Well, everybody knows, at least everybody who knows me knows what my favorite mm. cartoon is. But I haven't mentioned it okay. on this podcast because I've been thinking this might be something that we watch at some point in the future. I think right. I think a good time to watch it might have been my birthday, but my birthday was last oh. week and I missed it. So uh, birthday bonus. My favorite cartoon ever, I think, mm. is. Oh, no, I lost the title. I had the official what? title of it. It's It's got a long title. Um, oh, yeah, it's crazy title. Oh, do you, do you want to just reserve it? Do you want to just. Um, do you want to do it in two weeks? We'll do, we'll do shorts in two weeks and we'll do like, we'll do awesome I'll, cartoons. I'll assi- okay. <laughs> I'll assign it. Uh, you know what you're getting into next week. Okay. We can do that. Sure. I would, I would like to talk about that cartoon. Um, we'll cleanse the palate from nine cops and a baby with a good cartoon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there is a cartoon. It's a Merry Melodies. It has a very long yeah. title. There's some hints. So that, that's my favorite one. I like that one a lot. Uh, what are other good okay, ones? Okay, so I, I picked a few. Matsy hedges on his answer. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to just completely leave it there. I suspect that there's probably a bunch of Tex Avery ones that I really liked. Like, that Magical Maestro really whet my appetite for Tex Avery. Uh, mm. I want to go back and... I have a lot of weird affection for the Gene Deitch, Tom and Jerry's. They're not... Yeah, but could you put them as best? No. I don't think you can. no. They're not by any stretch of the imagination, but they like when I think about cartoons that I instantly remember from my youth, like one of the ones is the uh, that Gene Deitch, Tom and Jerry, where uh, Jerry decides to abandon everything and go into space. Mm. Hmm. I don't know for Popeyes either. I'd have to rewatch and see if maybe the first one that introduces Pappy, (laughs) maybe that one's. In that upper echelon, yeah. but I didn't do or watch it. Okay. Okay. Um, Good enough for now, I guess. Right. <laughs> if you want, <laughs> if you have more questions you want us to sort of answer, <laughs> um, <laughs> be sure to tweet me at DrabSwatch on Twitter. And tweet me at AC Matsy if you want to know what my favorite cartoon is, and I'll tell you to listen in two weeks. Uh, but make sure that you listen in two weeks and next week and every week and tell everybody else to listen every week. Um, mm. on Twitter and Facebook and Vine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, AC Mets. Yep. And now, don't forget the Celery Stalker slogan. Now that you mention it, you do look like a stranger to these parts. Why don't you come with me and we'll see if we can figure out where you belong. Yes, 